Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor right here in technically Greer, South Carolina, um, as you guys have heard me say before. But regardless, it's all the same. Greenville County, uh, South Carolina. Um, I'm your host, as always, and all of my contact information is in the show notes if you need to reach me for anything. Um, With regard to the show, please make sure that you're subscribed to the show so that you don't miss any episodes. Um, I appreciate if you guys can download, um, do whatever your podcast app, because we're on a bunch of different apps, do whatever your podcast apps requires for you to do that. If you're on Apple, scroll down, leave the show five stars, write up a quick little review. I appreciate all that, and I thank you guys that have already done that. Today, we are going to be talking about uh, smaller homes, specifically smaller houses, but smaller homes just in general, how, uh, in a sense, smaller homes are a better investment in a lot of different ways than larger homes are. Now, I want to preface this right off the bat, okay, because there are there, there's one very important thing that we need to get out in front of. Because I myself, actually, to me, uh, the house that I live in is pretty big. It's like 3,800 square feet um, when you factor in our uh, completely finished basement. So I am certainly not against being in larger homes. Um, And this is where there has to be some kind of balance in the discussion between lifestyle and investment. And we've talked about this in other episodes, but I just want to bring it up very briefly here at the beginning just to make sure that you don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy bigger homes, but what I am saying is that smaller homes do tend in the long run to be a better investment. Now, investment isn't the only consideration when you're buying a house for your family. I remember reading Warren Buffett talk about how Uh, it actually would have been better for him in the long run if he had rented versus buying his house that that he raised his his family in, um, but that he had no regrets, that he felt like owning the home that he purchased and that his family, uh, his children grew up in, that that was a great lifestyle decision. That was a decision where they they made memories and... and, uh, and even if he may have lost money, he gained so much more that was much more valuable than money in that decision. Um, and sometimes the best lifestyle choices, the best lifestyle decisions are not necessarily the best investment decisions. And so you need to weigh that. If you're looking to move, don't just automatically uh, go fully on one side of the spectrum where you're completely focused on lifestyle, you're not thinking about the investment side of things. But if you're uh, more future-oriented, and and a lot of us are, uh, investors tend to be more future-oriented. If you're more future-oriented and you're thinking more on the investment side of things, don't forget, don't defer all of, of life's joy to the future. There are some things in the present to be enjoyed um, and sometimes if you defer your joy to the future, you never get to actually have it. You, you end up never getting to see that joy. Um, the only thing that we're guaranteed is today, and I'm getting a little bit philosophical here, 
Um, but my point is that <laughs> my point is that um, the fact that some homes are better investments than others doesn't necessarily mean that that's the home that you want to purchase. You know what the best investment is right now? It's to to purchase a home in a transitional neighborhood that is seeing 20% year-on-year appreciation even prior to COVID. Um, Well, guess what? Most people don't want to raise a family in a transitional neighborhood. They tend to be higher crime. Um, You know, they tend to, to not have as good of schools. There's all sorts of different things that people will uh, will say about these different neighborhoods, and that's fine. I, I can't steer people one way or the other. That's just the feedback that I get from people when they are looking at, at the different neighborhoods that they're looking at. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, most people don't choose the best investment for their own home, and that's totally fine. But I do think it's helpful to consider, to look at the data and to consider what the market says and and how all of this works, how the different dynamics work in terms of of how it plays out in the long run from an investment side of things when you purchase a house. So on to the episode here that smaller homes in general are a better long-term investment than larger homes are. Now, we're just going to start with some uh, some very, I shouldn't say basic things. Actually, the, this is probably the more complex things, but the, more in the weeds in terms of, of the real estate side of things. Um, smaller homes tend to appraise and sell for a higher price per square foot than bigger homes. So they tend to both appraise for not a higher price total, not a higher price total, but a higher price per square foot than bigger homes. Well, why is that? Well, there are uh, there are two reasons for that. Um, I want you to think of a neighborhood just in general. Think, picture a neighborhood in your mind and think about what the smallest home in that neighborhood is, Right? The smallest home in any neighborhood has, there is a floor basically to what a neighborhood will sell for. And that floor is generated for a variety of reasons. The baseline is generated for a variety of reasons, but it comes down to location, right? Every neighborhood, based on its location, and as well, of course, based on the quality of construction, all these different things, has a baseline that no home will ever sell below. My neighborhood, that baseline right now as I'm recording this, is about $200,000. There will never uh, be a home that comes for sale, a house that comes for sale, barring some kind of weird economic you know, recession or something like that. Um, but no home in my neighborhood that has three bedrooms and two bathrooms will ever sell below $200,000. That is the floor. That is the baseline. And that's simply because this, I'm uh, in a part of Greer that's very central to everything. It's close to 285. It's close to 385. You can easily get to Spartanburg. You can e- easily get to downtown Greenville. Um, great school district, Riverside School District, um, you know, accessible to everything. So 
uh, and uh, the the construction quality in my neighborhood pretty good overall. Um, homes that aren't that old has a pool in the neighborhood. All these different things contribute to the fact that there is a lot of people out there looking for homes that check off all of those boxes. So this is where we talk about supply and demand. So the demand for a home in my neighborhood is tremendous. And that demand means that really no matter what size, so we had uh, something like a, a 12 or 1300 square foot house in the neighborhood the past year sell for a little bit over $200,000. Well, that's a very small house for this neighborhood. There's not very many houses in my neighborhood that are that small. Um, and on the flip side, uh, you'll see other homes that are much bigger that might sell for two twenty-five or two thirty. And so the price per square foot for that twelve hundred square foot house is much higher than some of these other homes. Well, think about it from this standpoint, right? You've got the living room, you've got the two be- the two bathrooms, the three bedrooms, the kitchen, the dining room. That is the stable, and and of course whatever backyard. That is the stable layout. Uh, I should also mention a garage. Um, almost every house in my neighborhood has a garage. Um, but those are are the staple things that people are looking for, right? So what's the difference between, again, in my neighborhood, the difference between a twelve hundred square foot house and a sixteen or seventeen hundred square foot house? There aren't more rooms. They're just bigger. Right, the living room is a little bit bigger. The kitchen's perhaps a little bit bigger. The master bedroom, master bathroom, is a little bit bigger. Perhaps the yard is a little bit bigger. So that square footage that you add, of course, not to the yard, but the square footage in the house that you add, it doesn't fundamentally change what spaces are in the house. It just changes how those spaces are laid out and how large they are. Well, someone is going to be willing. Someone is going to be okay. There is someone in the market that's like, you know, I don't care. I don't need a very big master bedroom. I don't need a very big master bathroom. I don't need a huge living room. I don't need a huge kitchen. But I need all these other things that that this neighborhood provides, that great school district, that accessibility to everything, that the fact that it's a newer home, doesn't need a bunch of maintenance. Those are the things that I need. And so that is what ends up driving the price up, uh, the price per square foot up for these smaller homes is that ultimately people are not as worried as long as the home checks off the boxes, they're not as worried about how large all of these different rooms are. And so that's what happens. We have a neighborhood, the, the smallest house in the neighborhood should almost always sell for the highest price per square foot of in in comparison to the other homes in that neighborhood. What about appraisals? How how do appraisers handle this? Well, it's it's not at all the same uh in terms of uh, of the logic behind it, but it comes to the same outcome. Appraisers handle the adjustments on smaller homes in a way that really favors the smaller homes. Now, what are adjustments? All right, when, a, when an appraiser looks at a house, they will, will take that house and they'll, they'll basically uh, 
have a bunch of categories for that house and, and, you know, all, all the different finishes and the condition of it and, and the location, all these different things they're assessing the house by. Then, and, and of course, the size is one of them. Then they have the comps. They have at least three comps, sometimes more than that, that they are comparing that house to. All right. So you take the subject property, which is the house that we're looking at, that has 1,200 square feet. Well, there are no comps that are 1,200 square feet. So we have to use comps that are 1,600, 1,700 square feet, substantially larger uh, than this home. Um, how do they handle that? They have to adjust. And so they will make, basically they will uh, take the price that those homes sold for. So let's say that those homes sold, sold for 250000 And then they will adjust that price down, basically penalizing, uh, penalizing them in order to make it an equal playing field. They're trying to make these 1,600, 1,700-square-foot homes to be comparable to the 1,200-square-foot homes for the purposes of the appraisal. They're trying to make it a level playing field in order to account for the fact that these homes are bigger than the subject property. Okay, so how do they make that adjustment? Well, here's the weird part, right? So if we've got a 1,200-square-foot home that is for sale for uh, $200,000 or or under contract for $200,000, the price per square foot of that comes out to, what, 167 roughly $167 a square foot. Well, how does the appraiser adjust the price for the other comps? The other comps are perhaps selling for, you know, $130 a square foot. Well, you would think the appraiser would just deduct $167 or $130 a square foot per square foot um, for the comp. So, in, in other words, we've got a comp that, let's just, let's actually play this out. So, we've got uh, for instance, a 1600 or a, a, a 1500 square foot house that sold for 250,000. Oh, actually, that's uh, that's exactly 167. All right, so we, we, we do need to change this to 1600. All right, so we've got a, a 1600 square foot house that sold for 156 dollars uh, a square foot, Two, uh, 1600 square foot house that sold for 250,000. That's 156 dollars a square foot. You would think, okay, so we've got a 1,200-square-foot house. We have a 1,600-square-foot house. We need to level the playing field. We know that the 1,600-square-foot house sold for the for $250,000. We need to penalize that house in order to make it comparable to the 1,200-square-foot house. How should we do that? Well, the logical thing would be to take 1,600 minus 1,200. That's the difference in size between the two homes. 400 hours. Uh, sorry, 400 square feet. And now just multiply that times 156. So if we do that, whoops, times 156. It'd be good if I could type. That would be really, really ideal. All right, here we go. That that brings us to 62,400. And and so the logical thing to do would be to deduct 62,400 62, from the $250,000 to make that comp comparable to the 1,200 square foot house. So that would take us, you know, actually into the 180s at that point. 
That, to me, is reasonable, but that's not how they do it. They actually adjust. It's it's arbitrary, but they adjust by, you know, $30, $40, $50, $60 a square foot, and it just kind of depends on the appraiser, and it kind of depends on their mood, and it kind of depends on a, a few other things as well. So they... they um, I think I most frequently see adjustments by like $40 a square foot. So they adjust by $40 a square foot. Well, well, that takes us to $16,000, right? Because again, the difference between these two houses is 400 square feet. So if you say that that 400 square feet is only worth $40 a square foot, you're saying that, that the 400 square feet is worth a total of $16,000, right? So... What that means then is that that comp that was $250,000, we just adjusted it, and now it's $234,000. You see what just happened? Now, this 1,200 square foot house, we're actually looking at it and saying, oh, actually, this 1,200 square foot house is actually worth potentially in the 230s. Well, that, that math doesn't make sense. Probably the market doesn't agree with that either, but that's the way appraisers do it. Well, let's take it on the flip side of, of things. And I know this is a little bit hard to explain on the podcast, so I hope you guys are, are following me. But let's say you've got the largest home in the neighborhood. So let's say you've got a, well, in my case, a 3,800 square foot home. And there aren't very many other 3,800 square foot homes in the neighborhood. Now you've got the reverse problem. Right, you've got the appraiser now. He's pulling comps that are three thousand, thirty-one hundred, thirty-two hundred square feet, um, and so he looks at that to level the playing field, or she looks at it to level the playing field. Um, he now has to subtract, or he now has to add square footage to those homes, and and basically make an adjustment to those homes in order to to make it fair. And so let's say that one comp is 700 square feet smaller than the subject property and he is or she is only giving $40 a square foot for that extra square footage, that comes out to $28,000. Let me ask you something. How many people do you know that are looking for a 3,800 square foot house versus and and wouldn't even consider a 31 square foot house, 3100 square foot house. How many of those people do you think only value that 700 square feet as $28,000? None of them do. Like that 700 square feet makes a big difference when you're talking about you know going from you're going from one tier, like 3,000 square foot homes, to nearly 4,000 square foot homes. That's an entire tier jump at that point. You're talking about homes that uh, oftentimes have uh, a, an entire additional bedroom and bathroom versus the other homes. But um, And appraisers are supposed to adjust at least for the extra bathrooms, but they are basically penalizing the larger homes uh, by how they do this. And, of course, I complain about appraisers all the time on this podcast because uh, they are the bane of, of realtors everywhere. But this is the part of it where, regardless of whether appraisers are uh, doing their job or not, I do not understand how they come up with this math. And I don't know if this is 
universal across the U.S. or what. I just know that that's how they do it here. You, If you're a uh, owner of a smaller home or if you're purchasing a smaller home, the odds that your appraisal will come in uh, at the price that it should be is dramatically greater than if you're in a large home for your neighborhood. That is just the way it works. I hope that all made sense. So both to sellers, sellers are willing to pay a higher price per square foot, and appraisers are willing to appraise at a higher price per square foot for smaller homes. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about, really, that that first point. That was kind of two points. The rest of these, though, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on, because that was kind of the 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 bulk of of this that you probably have never fully thought about or or maybe you have but some someone in the audience I'm confident has never fully thought all of that through but there are other uh lesser important but but uh, or I should say simpler to explain but equally important things to consider smaller homes for instance have cheaper homeowners insurance by and large by and large um the Insurance company, when they look at it, they see the size of the home, they are typically going to offer a lower premium for that smaller home than for a larger home. So your your ongoing costs are cheaper as well in that regard. Additionally, to a certain extent, property taxes are also uh, going to be lowered. Now, let me hedge that for a second. That typically, in at least in Greenville County, Spartanburg County as well, and, and the surrounding counties, really a South Carolina, uh, by and large, type of thing. Typically, when you make a home purchase, the county will immediately, uh, within the next year, reassess the value of your home. And, and coincidentally, their reassessment will come in pretty close to what you purchased the home for. So you're not necessarily going to get a property tax savings by having the smaller home right away. But where I think it could end up benefiting you is down the road. Down the road as they do their every five year or however often that they decide to do it because there is a little bit of an arbitrary aspect to it. But as the county reassesses just independently, as they're looking at your home and they're looking at what you purchased it for, they're looking at the square footage, they are less likely to reassess you at a higher price as they take all of that into account. So you will probably end up paying uh, less money for uh, property taxes as well due to the fact that it is a smaller home. Another very, very big thing to consider, and house flippers know this very well, um, is, of course, there are fewer costs associated with updating the house when it's a smaller house. It's a small house. It's got a small kitchen that's less granite, fewer cabinets, um, less hardwoods that you need to replace, less carpet that you need to replace. Everything is less. It's less home that you have to paint, less roof that you have to replace. All of these costs, you know, it's a cheaper AC unit. All of these different things are, are cheaper with a smaller house than with a larger house. And so you're, when you have to make repairs, do renovations, whatever, that ends up being cheaper with a smaller home than, um, than a bigger home. Um, 
this is perhaps not the biggest thing money-wise, but time-wise, and we all know that time is money, time-wise, um, and money-wise as well, um, it is a lot less home to clean. You're spending less time cleaning. You're spending less money on cleaning supplies. Uh, so you don't, I mean, trust me, go from a, I, I went from an 1,800 square foot house to a 3,800 square foot house. Um, it's a lot harder to keep up with cleaning in a 3,800 square foot house. That That is just the reality of it. It's just more home to clean. There's always something to do, always something that needs to be done. Same thing with the renovations. There's always renovations that we can be doing. I mean, we could constantly be working on projects uh, in this house if we really wanted to. Um, and, and so that is something that uh, is is worth considering as well. Just the the fewer costs and the significantly less time spent cleaning uh, when you have a smaller home versus a larger home. And this is a little bit downstream, but I you know as I was thinking through what are what are the different you know advantages of a smaller home. You have obviously less storage in a smaller home than you do in a larger home, and when you have less storage. That means you have to have a lot more self-control in terms of what you own, in terms of the possessions that you have. You can't just go out uh, on a shopping spree and buy, you know, a thousand dollars worth of clothes. Where are those clothes going to go? You don't have as much house to decorate. Uh, you don't have as many walls to hang things on. So there are, in addition to simply the raw things related to the house, updating the house, cleaning the house, and all of that. You kind of have fewer costs, in in theory, in terms of other things that you buy as well, because you don't have as many places to put those things, right? Now, of course, here's what oftentimes happens: people that have smaller smaller houses, they end up never parking their car in the garage because then their garage ends up becoming a basically a giant closet. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry if if that's you. Um, I went for a long time without having a garage. I have one now. I like it. I like being able to park my car in the garage. Um, and I, and I highly recommend it, but I get it. If you're in a smaller house, maybe that's, that is the sacrifice you can't make. You have to have, there's a certain level of worldly goods that you must have in your possession and, uh, the house can't fit them all, but the house plus the garage can. Sorry, car. You got to be out there and hope that a hailstorm doesn't come along and ding you up. Um, but that is potentially, I say potentially, potentially a way that someone might save money in a smaller house is that they have to be have a lot more self-control in terms of, of what they buy and, and what they have because of storage concerns. And I have heard this from, uh, from people before. I do know people that literally they back off on a hobby that takes up a lot of space because they are out of space to support that hobby. Um, and so that's a, that's a very real thing. Again, to bring it all back in, it's not wrong to buy a big house, and it's not irresponsible to buy a big house. You have to look at your lifestyle and determine what lifestyle do you want? What lifestyle do you want for your family? What makes the most sense for you and your season of life. It may mean buying the biggest home in the neighborhood. 
it may mean buying the smallest home in the neighborhood. But in terms of the investment long-term, buying the smallest home in the neighborhood does pay off long-term in ways that buying the bigger homes do not. That is just the reality of the situation. And that is the reality of this podcast and the end of this podcast. And I appreciate you guys listening. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Please leave a rating or a review if you haven't already. And all of my wonderful contact information is in the show notes. If you need to buy a house, if you need to talk real estate, if you need anything uh, real estate related, let me know. I'm happy to help you, happy to chat. Hope you guys have a great rest of the week. If you're in the Northeast, I hope that you don't have a hurricane uh, about to hit you because we had that tropical uh, storm that came up here, dumped a bunch of rain on us, had some weird weather, had a lot of tornadoes, uh, but thankfully we were all safe. I hope that for all you guys in the Northeast that are listening and for all you guys down here that are listening, hopefully we'll have uh, just some nice weather as we transition into the fall here in the next few months. But thank you guys for listening. Stay safe. Have a great rest of the week.